Dotnet Rocks episode 648 with guest Jean Pauli. Recorded live Wednesday, February 23rd, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. This podcast is brought to you by Microsoft Canada and the Ignite Your Coding podcast series on web development. Finding the time to keep your skills current can be a challenge, especially in the world of web development. That's why the folks at Microsoft Canada felt it was a good idea to connect you with industry experts to discuss topics on web development. As part of this four-part series known as Ignite Your Coding, you'll hear about HTML5, CSS, JavaScript, and Microsoft's work around interoperability through web standards. For more information about this episode, as well as other episodes of the Ignite Your Coding podcast series, check out msdn.microsoft.ca slash ignite. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard here. Hey, man, you know, I got a story for you. Hit me. <laughs> Actually, it's not a story. It's a, uh, it's a something I read in a, in a newspaper. Okay. It said, for mole control, mole, M-O-E, call Avogadro 602-3000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000-000
Nice. Yeah. So go go check it out. So Richard, who wants a mug? I've got a comment off of show 643, which if you recall was Mark Miller and Seth Juarez go mad. And they still, to this day, haven't given us that video. No, but they did go mad. It was kind of a frantic show. Yes, they did. But uh, yeah, we still don't have the video of them actually. And I saw them do it later on after the show was over. Yeah. I think you had to go and I right. left the feed on and I was actually could see that crazy keyboard they did. It was yeah. really nutty. It is cool. Um but John Griffith had a great comment on the show. Uh, Hi, with regards to the 10-foot typing experience, may I recommend not creating something new, but to go with existing technology? Well, hey. Rather than come up with a new typing paradigm, I believe it would be more useful to use ASL, American Sign Language. Yeah, that's interesting, huh? Solving this problem would add not just the letters, but also allow symbols into the mix. For example, in expressing a tree structure, you could have the ability to use signings for parent, child, and so on. At the code camp, you wouldn't have any barrier between devs speaking their native tongue as we could communicate the same way we do in our programming, which is a really interesting idea. That is an amazing idea. Because it, it it's a very macro language then, and you could still do the individual letter gestures. Right. Uh, the approach described seemed more like semaphore, but from scratch, again, we developers always insist on throwing things away in order to create something new that we do it right with. Uh, I think deaf people would find they'd have a hand up with this and would be then the people that everyone else was trying to catch up to. Uh, looking forward to your next project, say Flashlights for the Blind or the HAL interface, which would be lip reading. Mm-hmm. Regards from John Griffith. <laughs> uh, interesting idea. And I think one of the points is the question of whether or not uh, Connect is precise enough to read finger locations well enough. Well, and it seemed like they were having a hard time doing that with not finger locations, just ba- basically finger hand position is all they can get yeah. resolution on. But And I also think that the 10-foot experience ultimately is not the way you do software development. It's the 3-foot experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward yeah. to the 3-foot experience version of the Connect. I agree. Whenever that comes along. And that one ought to be able to read lip position, facial expressions, yeah. hand, the whole thing. I, I really on the cusp of an interesting time here. But John... Thanks so much for your comment. We'd love to send you a mug, but you left us no way to contact you. So when you hear this show, please send us an email, rocks at franklins.net. And when you leave comments, log in via Twitter or Facebook or one of those other services so that we can get back to you and send you a mug. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we're very excited today because our guest is none other than Jean Pauli. He is General Manager of Interoperability Strategy at Microsoft and one of the co-creators of the XML 1.0 standard with the World Wide Web Consortium. He has long been a strong and passionate advocate of XML and open standards. Jean manages the interoperability strategy team that coordinates the technical interoperability activities across Microsoft. Welcome, Jean. Hey, welcome. Uh, Thank you to you. Thank you very much for inviting me. And uh, very nice meeting you, Richard and Carl. Let us just say we are humbled. We are humbled. We are in the presence of greatness, Richard. I totally agree, sir. I've got to imagine, uh, i got to hear the story of what does it take to put together a specification like XML? Yeah. Work with uh, Tim Berners-Lee? And, and let's, let's ask, first of all, how far does it go back? I mean, does it predate HTML? Well, <laughs> some people say that I have been doing the same thing since maybe 20 years, and I think it's uh, I actually started working on this since um, 
on the ancestor of XML. <clears throat> it was called SGML. I started in, uh, I, I think, in 86, 1986, uh, 1987. And at that time, there were many people, uh, just a very small set of people uh, in uh, it's called the SGML community. We were like maybe 30 or 40 people, and we will meet every year in the same place almost and dreaming to change the world. And, uh, you know, and so we were like very small community and uh, every year. And then at a certain point, the Internet came and HTML came and... Uh, you know, we, we really thought that we needed more than a presentation language. Uh, and so uh, around uh, 95, 96, Microsoft approached me. And, uh, and I discussed with them and I said, look, you know, we need more than HTML in order to enable data interchange across the Internet. So, uh, so they hired me and, you know, said, well, come and change the world. So I moved from Paris. I was in Europe at that time. And I moved in uh, April 1996. And, uh, and and then we were talking with the SGML community with my friends uh, there how to simplify SGML. And so we discussed with John Bozak and Tim Bray and a bunch of people. And we were like around 11 people. And between basically April 96 and uh, around December 96, so really less than five months, we basically had designed the core of what became XML. And of course, it took a few more years to... <clears throat> finalize officially the actual piece of paper, the spec itself, but the core ideas were presented in uh, December 96, and, uh, and it was really a, a collaborative uh, work between, uh, you know, the SGML community, just a small set of people, and, uh, you know, across, from across industries, I just, this is something important, you know, people need to understand this was, I was at that time in Microsoft, but... You know, there were people in Sun, uh, people in HP, people in multiple small companies like Softquad and Arbortex, a lot of small companies, yeah. and also independent yeah. consultants. Well, now, standard generalized markup language, or SGML, which you're talking about, doesn't that even go back to the 60s, to, to GML, which I guess is IBM's generalized markup language? Absolutely. I mean, this is, this is a very long, you know, and also to TROF and NROF and a lot of, of the basic ideas of basically putting tags or mm. markers inside of a text simply to explain what this text, this piece of text is yeah. or this piece of data is. And, uh, and there are a lot of discussions. Are we talking about marking up documents or data? That's also very interesting discussions that we, we don't have time to go through yeah. here. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's basically pieces of information. And the idea is the most important is to have this piece of information coded for humans so people can read them and at yeah. the same time it could, it's coded for machines so is the is it fair to it say is. that the thing that separates xml from sgml is the the advent of schemas and in linking to schemas so that we know how to interpret the data that we're looking at no 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 not, no no um yeah, what i'm saying all of those are uh, existed before uh, the only difference is simply we simplified at the time, it was simplification. Also, people now think it's a little bit more complex than it should be. But it's a little bit complex uh, simplification of what was HTML. Simply, we have almost the same uh, you know, functionalities. And then we added on top of those functionalities during the years with namespaces and other things like that. I see. Now, the basic idea simply is that's the most important is if you look at information, being able to put around this piece of information 
tags that actually explain what this piece of information is. That's the core idea. Okay. And then this information could be uh, organized in a more, more and more complex way into, you know, in nestings and trees and graphs. Uh, but the, the core idea is simply just tagging from the beginning to the end pieces mm. of information. When did it really begin to take off? Was it uh, XML? So, you know, it's kind of interesting because, um, you know, I always remember uh, we, uh, as, as Microsoft, we announced that we were going to support that uh, in, um, you know, early 97. And it was just an email, and a, you know, and... Uh, and then at a certain point, uh, uh, you know, Bill Gates also in uh, Seabold in 97, around September when we shipped IE4, said that uh, XML was a breakthrough technology. And, you know, you need, you need to, you know, to my surprise, actually, just a set of people I saw in Microsoft, developers, just independently of each other, started simply using this. Uh, in my team, we started creating the parser that became, you know, MS XML and and uh, and so we just saw like a thousand flowers bloom everywhere, starting using this uh, this format simply because it was uh, you know easy to define your own data structures, and then the people you know were exchanging those pieces of information across the internet uh, without really any centralization, and so it just started like really it, it caught like a wildfire uh, you know everywhere, and so this was um, I was looking at the developers inside of Microsoft. And of course, inside of the on the internet, also, it started here, and I now can see it real, literally 97, 98. Everybody starts using it uh, without really any centralization or any 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 plan, uh, and 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 that's what's really nice to see. Uh, you know, for, especially for me, uh, you know, we have been dreaming about it since like, I, I was telling you since, since mm. decades. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now here we are. I, I mean, obviously, you you did a few different roles inside of Microsoft. How did you end up in the interoperability role? If you think about it, uh, my role since the 80s has been really to stitch together different platforms. You know, when we were talking about HTML and then we were talking about XML, those formats enabled the free form, the free flow of information across different platforms. And already, I already started uh, my initial, you know, working environment was uh, Unix in the 80s. Uh, I spent 10 or 15 years the, as a developer on uh, Unix workstations, uh, what be- became Linux now. And so, you know, by definition, the overall thinking was multiple platforms, Windows, IBM, uh, uh, you know, Unix machines, Linux machines, whatever, should be able to interchange freely information. And that's basically the definition of interoperability. You know, the fact that uh, here, for, in, for for my current uh, thinking, is the fact that uh, Microsoft software could work with non-Microsoft software, and so it's just uh, the natural evolution of everything I have been doing since uh, many years now. Now, what's interesting about your title and is you don't necessarily own a product, do you? No. So, so my team, you can think about it. My team is a resource to uh, product teams. You know. Okay. So. Uh, we help uh, the uh, across Microsoft the different product teams to create and uh, and implement their interoperability strategy. So, for example, we run uh, an interoperability executive customer council, and that's a customer council. Uh, think about it as a, around uh, you know forty or fifty uh, you know companies and uh, representatives from government. So. It's public sector and private sector, 
and from all over the world, and they come twice a year to Microsoft, and for two, day, full, two full days, um, we have very senior Microsoft executives coming and with VPs of product teams, and we actually present to these uh, customers uh, you know, our interoperability strategy of every product. And so we explain how, uh, I don't know, Office works uh, with uh, Unix, uh, uh, Linux uh, backends, uh, cloud servers. We explain how, uh, double, you know, the developer env environment is interoperable. We, we explain how uh, Azure is interoperable, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then we have very frank, and open and, uh, you know, uh, feedback from those customers who are all ha have mixed IT environments. Uh, you know, mixed IT environment is a reality today uh, in the world. You know, if you see at how many, uh, you know, how the Internet is built, the actual structure of the Internet, the, the, the fact that, uh, you know, when you have an iPhone, you're expected, you know, that you can read your email and on your iPhone, even if your email is on Exchange Server, right? It just uh, it just expected, uh, you know, uh, developers and customers almost think about it as like it should almost work like magic, you know? They don't. <laughs> yeah. It, it, this is a, this is the expectation of of the user today. Yeah, they don't even think about that part anymore. That that all these web standards. When I when I think XML and interoperability, I immediately think web services. Well. It, 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 it's literally you're completely right. Uh, you know the it, people don't think about it anymore. It just it just uh, they almost think about it like it should work again like magic. Uh, uh, today, if you you know if you are uh, a developer and you are developing on um, you know on the internet, uh, you you know you I'm sure that you have been seeing uh, ASP and PHP and. Uh, and 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 backend servers and uh, maybe you go to uh, you know to uh, very uh, uh, known companies like GoDaddy and you host your things and it, it, you know the expectation is that all of this works very well together and uh, and and that's the reality it is uh, the internet and everything is connected so uh, I actually I always you know you know uh, believe very strongly in this. Uh, XML is an important ingredient of this, obviously, today, uh, like, I don't know, from a, a small, very small device to a refrigerator to, uh, uh, of course, a big data server uh, to a cloud, uh, yeah. you know, XML is everywhere that enables this, uh, this, uh, this interconnectivity. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik JustCode. If you're like me, you're probably using some productivity add-on in Visual Studio to check, refactor, and test your code. But how would you like to get a complete list of your solution's errors on the fly as you type, and not just for the opened files? The new kit on the block, JustCode, does just that for all supported .NET languages as well as JavaScript. It's like having a compiler running all the time, only that JustCode is faster and requires less CPU time. One area where JustCode is definitely better is performance. The tool provides the fastest code analysis and better performance without slowing down Visual Studio. Another reason to try it is JavaScript support. It'll help you read, navigate, and refactor your JavaScript code better than you've ever imagined. Learn more about the features JustCode offers and download a trial at telerik.com slash justcode. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks.
You know what I find is interesting is how uh, XML was there to simplify interoperability, and then SOAP web services came along, and certainly Microsoft's implementation of SOAP made it drop-dead easy to develop web services. And then came the WS Star stuff, which became really, really complex. And, and I'm not sure... Uh, you know, if it was just really ambitious to try to do stuff like transactions and encryption and all that stuff. And, you know, and it works, but it's really complex. And then there was this blowback to, to restfulness, you know, just straight XML over HTTP, um, which really, really took root, but back, back to simplicity, you know? But, you know, it's always like this. Uh, you have uh, simplicity, more complexity. I actually don't think you know, uh, in, the, in those terms. Uh, I, I think really that do uh, you have problems? Some problems are very complex yeah. and they need more complexity, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I'm sure that you need, uh, you know, uh, when, when you're talking about uh, very uh, complex and secure, uh, you know, uh, uh, systems, at a certain point you are going to need a little bit more complexity than basic REST API. Right. That's, that's all. So it's really, you know, a lot of people love to have the kind of very flashy debates on the Internet around all of this. And I always have been very, very pragmatic. Mm. It's, it's also, uh, if, if, I can, if I can, it's really also uh, the word pragmatic is, is our, our overall uh, kind of philosophy from an interoperability point of view at Microsoft. You know, I can, I can tell you a little bit how we think about it uh, in, in a very pragmatic way, um, you know, we we really think we have a very kind of a structured approach for for interoperability in the, in the company. We we really think about it as four big uh, subjects. The, the first one we we think about it as uh, as products. You know, uh, so the, the the four subjects are you know product, collaboration, access to information, and standards. So. If you want, I can go through each one of them and explain to you a little bit how we think about this. Because, again, the 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 the, the subject of interoperability itself, you know, you talked about web standards and mm. WS star against uh, REST and all of this. It's kind of inflamed a lot of passion. And, and here, interoperability also inflames a lot of passion. Say, what, you know, what are you talking about? Microsoft interoperable or not and all of this. And we, we really take it from a developer need, basic, pragmatic developer need, and customer need. Right, I think kind your of, point you is know, well magic, taken. Uh, you know, uh, a way of people are, uh, you know, expect their software to work. So, you know, first, let's start with product. I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious. If the product itself does not have, uh, you know, the, the, the right, uh, you know, interrupt services, the right uh, APIs, or, uh, protocols, and formats, to be interoperable with, obviously, you cannot, uh, you know, it's not going to be interoperable. Yeah. So, and, and we'll go, we'll go, you know, uh, uh, we'd love to discuss later all around HTML5 and IE9 and all of this. But right. in an example, if IE9 did not invest a lot in, in implementing the HTML5 uh, standard well, of course, you know, you will not be interoperability. So that's kind of the basics. The product, there is a lot of, you know, uh, effort that has to go into the product. If the Azure... For example, uh, uh, cloud uh, did not implement the basic XML and uh, uh, you know uh, inter- uh, the basic protocols using XML and REST and SOAP and 
and all of this, well, of course, you could not access the Azure services through the language of, of, your, of your choice. I mean, today you can access uh, Azure using uh, ASP or PHP or Java or Ruby or whatever you want, you know. So the basic is first is the product needs to be interoperable. But again, our approach is, has four legs here. The second one is collaboration because, uh, you know, I don't know that people use the word it takes two to tango. When you talk about interoperability, you are interoperable, you know, you are being interoperable with somebody else. Mm-hmm. So between a Microsoft, for, for us, between a Microsoft and then a non-Microsoft. And in order to be able to interoperate with somebody else, you need the, the community. And uh, you need to talk to other people. So, you know, uh, uh, and, and we do that through multiple ways. You know, we, we work a lot with the open source community. We are... Uh, you know, of course, we have, uh, uh, you know, involvement. Uh, uh, many people uh, are, are still surprised when they hear that we work a lot uh, using open source ourselves. You know, we have, of course, Godplex, and we have thousands and thousands of projects there. But also we work with the Eclipse community. Uh, we work with the Apache Open Source mm-hmm. uh, Foundation. Uh, um, uh, we work with... Uh, uh, with, with so many uh, open source, uh, uh, you know, uh, communities and, uh, and and conferences that I cannot even list them all, and uh, I can go through that again uh, in more in more detail. But that's kind of most important is collaboration and working with others, and of course, with a, uh, and, and and this is a huge part that we do with the open source community. It's amazing to me that interoperability is such a broad story here. That uh, I mean, I was focused on the web part of it, but. Yeah, there's all kinds of interoperability pieces you're obviously working with. Sure, well, ab- absolutely. So, I mean, if, if, if you know, if you look at uh, what we did uh, recently, we have been working and adding add-in to the Eclipse. You know, of course, we have Visual Studio and we have a lot of Visual Studio users, but we know also that some people do not uh, do not want to uh, use. Uh, uh, the Visual Studio, they use Eclipse. And mm-hmm, so sure. if you are using Eclipse and uh, you want to program to, to, to Azure, we have been working on, for example, PHP add-in and Java add-in and all of this for uh, to enable you to develop, uh, you know, using your favorite language to the Azure platform. And uh, that's, you know, that's just normal because if you are on the Internet today, it is expected that you have the choice of the language that you want. Right. And, uh, you know, .NET gives us a huge language support. And, uh, and again, you have people, for example, in the open source community or coming from a Linux background who actually don't even use any tool. So, you know, you can use Visual Studio, you can use other tools, but also you can go use Notepad or Emacs or VI if you want to, 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 to write your code directly. And, 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 and we know all of this. You see, what, what I just want to, to tell you here is that there are a huge set of people in Microsoft, and I'm, my, my, my team is simply you know, helping coordinate the strategy and a resource to provide more and more information. But the product teams really are, are uh, you know, the, the, the leaders in their thinking for their own product. Uh, we are thinking about all these uh, developers that uh, have different you know, likes and they, they, they have different choices and how they want to develop and if they want to develop, uh, uh, you know, selling their products or if they want to share it as an open source. And, 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 and so we are including all of this thinking since a very long time now in Microsoft uh, for our developers. And so the collaboration is extremely important. 
And uh, this is really a key part of our thinking about when we think about interoperability. Jean, I just find it challenging. Uh, I, I'm just trying to understand myself how you, your team is able to touch all the product teams that ultimately need to be interoperable with other products in the world. Well, it's, it's, it's actually the other way around. You know, uh, a lot of uh, the, the, the whole uh, thinking around interoperability is now really ingrained in the product teams. You know, we, we started, uh, for example, uh, we created the Interoperability Executive Customer Council now four, four years ago, right? And again, every six months, we have people from different product teams coming and presenting to this council uh, their interoperability thinking. So this is really now inside of their own thinking around, inside of their own strategy. And then from time to time, they actually connect with our team. They know that our team exists, and they come to us and say, look, you know, uh, we have been thinking about this. What do you guys think? Or, uh, like, is there a standard that is in this space that actually could be applied? Or, well, we don't really know what to do in this particular uh, community. Can you guys help us connect with them? And, and once we do the connection, we just give it back to the, the connection to them and they work with the actual community. So it's really, we're really simply a resource. But it's very interesting because, as you said, it is, uh, you know, as, as you see, it is, uh, you know, pretty uh, uh, at, at, the, at the very um, forefront of uh, new technologies that are coming across uh, today across the world. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so, you know, I was telling you a few minutes ago about collaboration. And this is an important, uh, you know, uh, uh, ingredient of interoperability, the, 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 the collaboration part. But when you start thinking about collaboration, then you start thinking about the third piece of the interoperability strategy here, which is, uh, which is access to information and, and, and also uh, you know, this this has to come back also to your, your question about uh, product teams. Well, when you want to have, you know, uh, other uh, people in the community using your products and being able to interoperate with them, I mean, we are talking here to developers. Developers need documentation. Right. And so it's very important that we provide developers around the world the appropriate documentation, you know, to to actually, for example, document all the protocols that we use, that we implemented, all the, you know, the formats that we implemented that we support. I mean, there is a, you know, if every dev- every developer knows that the, you know, that the details, the technical details are the most important here. And so many people are still surprised. That's why I'm talking about it here in 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 this in this uh, in this uh, talk, is about. I would really encourage developers to actually go and look at the Microsoft website. We have literally documented thousands. I mean, last time I checked, it was 50,000 pages of information around, for example, all the different protocols that Windows Server and all our server products and, uh, and also the Office products support. You know, like, like this is an immense source of information. And, 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 uh, Anybody who actually implemented the standard understand that even the standards, when you implement it, there are all multiple options, for example. You know, you have standards that contain legally, you know, uh, you, you still are conformant to the standard, multiple chapters that are optional or not. And so it's important for us to tell the developers, well, which chapter did we implement, which one did we not implement, uh, and, you know, we're staying in the same kind of, in the same uh, 
compatibility with the, with the actual standard, with the conformance with the standard. And so access to information, it's also the third piece of what we are doing, a huge uh, effort here to literally document exactly what we have been doing. So we documented exactly how we implemented the Office Opening XML standard. We, we, we documented exactly how we implemented the ODF standard, uh, exactly how we implemented our protocols, etc. And the last but not least, you know, participation in standards bodies, the fourth leg of our interoperability strategy. I think many people still are surprised when we tell them that Microsoft engineers are literally participating in very actively, I mean, in technical discussion, in more than 150 standards body like, around the world. And this does not include the actual committees that are of every standard body. So you can think about like hundreds, literally, of committees where well, we are. It's just a lot of people. Mm. And, and yeah, and, and then you think about the people, right? Because you need at least one or two or three people sometimes to participate. Sure. So, so many people are still surprised. We participate in the W3C. We participate in the MTF for the cloud. We participate in Oasis. I mean, th those are like the consortium that we participate in the national bodies of ISO, etc. So there are more, all in all, it's like we counted more than 150, you know, organizations. <laughs> and, and people are still surprised. And I just want to make sure that your audience hear that because it, it, it takes a lot of work and, and, uh, and uh, and so uh, you know, uh, and 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 I know that uh, uh, you know maybe uh, we can discuss about HTML5 because of course HTML5 is one of those standards we are very actively uh, working on in the W3C, and so uh, love to, to to say a few words about that. Well, for sure. I mean, yeah. Okay, now you've just intimidated me, Jean. That this obviously effort is way bigger than I realized. There's so many things going on at once just to try and get uh, interoperability where it should be. Web interoperability is obviously only one small part of this whole equation. Yeah, it is a very important one because everybody sees it in their browser, right? That's the, maybe that's the first one they, are, uh, they can see, right? Because if you sure. go and you launch your browser and the page doesn't work, well, you, you know, something is, not, is broken. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. So let's dig in a little to HTML5 because uh, obviously there's IE9's made leaps and bounds. People are saying great things about it, but there still seems to be more going on, like right at the edges of uh, even the HTML5 specification. Oh, yeah. Well, so, I mean, so, so first, I mean, the thing is with HTML5, it's really interesting because it really enabled people on the internet to create a new class of rich web application. And of course, it's HTML5, that's kind of the moniker that the, what people call it with. But of course, if you go, you know, technically and you look actually at what this means, if you go to the W3C website, actually it's not only the HTML5, it's, it's, a, it's a set of standards, you know, there are like literally dozens of them, the, the reality 
people know the word HTML5, but it means it's HTML5, it's CSS, it's, you know, it's a JavaScript, uh, you know, ECMAScript. Sure. It is, uh, you know, a set of uh, other, the DOM. I mean, there are so many different pieces that all together are known today for good or worse, <laughs> you know, uh, so the word HTML5. Anyhow, so, the, the, so today there are so many standards that are being created by the W3C and by also ECMA, the, the ECMA uh, standard organization who are creating, who are standardizing ECMAScript. And uh, so there are so many of them. And uh, the, the, the reality is if you look at them, I mean, I don't know if it's like there are 40 or 50, what is the real number at the end of the day? There is SVG, there is an entire family called web application in the W3C. I mean, the W3C is the place where the biggest part of this is being standardized. And if you look at this, I mean, for anybody who participated in a standard body, you know, let me explain a little bit how I experimented this, you know, uh, in my own experience building standards. You know, in general, you know, you need to understand a standard is at the end of the day a piece of paper. You know, it's, you can think about it. You have a set of people around the table, you know, you're in phone calls or IRCs, whatever it is, from across different companies. Uh, some people are not in companies. They are independent developers. They are enthusiasts. Somebody, you know, anybody who wants to basically participate is around the table and... And then, you know, a new idea gets tossed around. Somebody said, well, it would be great to add this new feature. And, and you know, and so you, you, you start discussing this feature, and, uh, and then, of course, you need consensus. That's the most important thing when you create a standard. It's basically you need the majority or, I don't know, you know, however the rule is, it is there, to have basically consensus. People prefer to have full consensus, of course. But basically, the idea is to have, you know, uh, 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 people uh, discuss enough this idea. And, and actually, everybody knows, if you are a developer, that when you start a new feature, well, people love to actually prototype it by code. Right. You know, and you start prototyping and say, wait a minute, this interface, it would be easier if I simplified it. Instead of having three parameters, I can put two. Or instead of having three methods, I can just concatenate them in one. Or, or the other way around, because if it's too much, you know, if, you, if the function is conveyed too much, too much uh, you know, semantics, let me break it into three pieces. So, I mean, you know, we, we do that all the time as developers. And so, you know, a standard is like this. People start working together. And then you can think about it. You know, there are many ideas, and then some mature earlier than others, simply because maybe they started earlier or uh, they are more complex or, or, or easier. So there are different levels of maturity of all these specs, all right? And so today, you know, the, 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 the way it works, if we look, go back to what's called today HTML5, there is a big part of HTML5, that's actually mature and stable as a spec. For sure. Okay? And, so, and, and so what we did in IE9 is we implemented those parts that are stable. You know, stable enough, and, you know, W3C called them something special. I'm not going to go into the actual terminology, but they are stable enough that people know around the table, not only with Microsoft, around the table, meaning the people are discussing, people from 
you know, Firefox and people from, you know, uh, from uh, Google and, um, you know, and, and Apple and WebKit and, and, and Opera and, uh, the, you know, and so the developers that are there, we know that it's stable. And so IE9 went and implemented those. And, uh, you know, today, uh, if you are using IE9, I strongly encourage you, of course, to, to use them, uh, mm-hmm. to use IE9. You actually start, can start using HTML5 today because at the end of the day, we know that whatever we implemented, you know, is not going to break in a year or two or in six months. Right. And, and on the other side, there are specs that are not stable yet. You see, they are still being cooked, <laughs> if, you know, I'm sure I'm talking to developers here. And so, you know, they're by definition being still designed. And the examples of, you know, of WebSockets and IndexedDB, uh, those are two specifications. You know, WebSockets enables uh, real-time bidirectional communication. It's really cool. I mean, it's really interesting. You can do a lot of real-time games or things like that with, and, uh, you know, between clients, for example. And so, and so the WebSocket uh, specification by itself, I don't know, I don't know exact, the exact date, but it started at least uh, a year or a year and a half ago. And, and, it, it, and, and it got dozens of changes in, in, in less than a year. And so it's normal. This is absolutely not a criticism of the specification or the idea. I really think the idea is really, really nice. It's just it's the, 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 the spec itself is still not stable. It's being changed. And it's normal, and actually, we're, you know, it's, it's, it's good that it's being changed quickly because that's how the Internet can evolve quickly until, you know, if you, you know, until the, the majority of people have been thinking about it, say, wait a minute, now we change it enough, and, and it's, it's not going to be, you know, broken. And, uh, and you know, and the reality is that uh, when you have a, a cool spec like this, well, you can have to make a decision. Am I going to be able, um, should I put it, implement it into a browser or not? And so, and, you know, unfortunately, some of uh, other browsers, uh, vendors like uh, Google and uh, Mozilla, they decided to put WebSockets into their browser. And the problem is, of course, it broke because not because of the engineers of these uh, browsers, simply because the spec itself was not stable. So right. it's just normal, okay? And so we took a little bit of different, you know, uh, decision in Microsoft. We said, look, we are going to monitor very carefully the state of the specification. Again, HTML5 is not one spec. It's dozens of specs. So we're going to monitor very carefully the status. And for the ones that are not, so we're going to divide those specs into stable and not stable. The ones that are stable, we're going to put them in the browser. 99, and the ones that are not stable, we're actually going to not put them in the browser. But what we're going to do is we're going to prototype them, and we're going to put them somewhere else. So we created in December something called HTML5 Labs. Yeah. So, yeah, and so it's actually my team working with the IE team and with other people in Microsoft who are kind of managing this, this whole, uh, you know, this whole idea, and say, look, we're going to prototype those uh, those unstable specification. So and, and we're going to actually write code, and this code is not meant to be used by the masses. You know, it's not used meant to be used by developers who want to create real websites. It's really meant 
for developers who are really interested by this kind of new ideas and wants to hack around and play with the prototype and and maybe even participate into the standard body because we really would like everybody to go to the W3C or to the IETF because I think the protocol of WebSocket is being hashed out in the IETF and add new ideas and say, look, you know, I, I, you know, w- you know, the developers know that code talks. You know, you know, when you play with code, it, you actually understand better what things should should happen. That's why people prototype. Sure. So we know that. You know, and so and so you, you know just. Try whatever we are providing in, H- in, in HTML5 labs, play with it, and actually test interoperability with other non-Microsoft uh, you know, implementations. That's the, the cool thing. Is That's the, the actual uh, uh, goal of this, is you actually try with real code, and, uh, and, and other, others will have maybe uh, you know, implemented the spec at a different point, because, again, it's not stable. And then you can try all of this, and, 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 and provide feedback to make this, the, the, the proposed standard better. And then once this thing is, uh, is, is, is stable, then we will start putting them into, you know, the, 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 the pre, you know, the, the, the developer previews of the next versions of the browsers, you know, whenever it becomes stable enough. This almost feels like this sort of agile approach of work on a spec for a while, take it back to the lab, build some code, bring back the problems and the successes, tweak the spec, do it again. That's right. That's right. But don't, you know, the most important is don't put it into a stable browser and don't build a stable site with it. Right. Don't ship it to the masses. Unfortunately, many sites broke that were using the WebSockets implementation in other browsers. You know? there... And the same thing with IndexedDB, right? I mean, the IndexedDB is another great spec, you know, to, to provide some local cache for a browser, you know, as a browser interface for a local database of records. And it's really cool. We really need offline. Off, off, off uh, it's just it's the same thing. You know, some people start putting it or put, uh, you know, uh, uh, other iterations and they had, you know, and the previous version of this got, you know, uh, got retired from the, from the W3C, and same thing, you know, if you look, uh, if you go at uh, HTML5 Labs, uh, we also have uh, put uh, there a prototype of IndexedDB, and again, the same goal than WebSockets, and we're continuing, you know, like, uh, on WebSockets, we already, I think, uh, uh, you know, updated our prototype two or three times, I think the last time was yesterday or tomorrow or something like this, we are updating this. The, the, you know, just to, to, to snap to the latest uh, uh, dot uh, release of the spec, of the, of the standard spec. So that's kind of where, you're right, it's, it's an agile way of doing things. And at the same time, it, it, it gives developers, uh, you know, uh, the non-Microsoft developers, uh, you know, things to chew on, to kind of play with, and to kind of have a, a good idea of what's happening. And, and the most important is, please, whoever can, Go participate in the standard process. You know, it's, sure. it's, it's, it's at least if, as, as a uh, you know provide some feedback, or uh, there are uh, some open lists where you can at least you know you know, uh, you know uh, if if you if there is some if you're really you know uh, very interested by the subject, uh, look at the at, at it and uh, give some basic feedback if you can, or or if not, just read whatever is in, is 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 uh, is being discussed on the uh, on the. On the on the mailing list, Sean. When you're uh, working with your interoperability group, what is 
your perception what is what is the perceived biggest barrier to interoperability in the future and especially let's let's talk about html5 what do you consider to be the biggest barrier i i actually think the biggest barrier is people um not understanding that uh that the web is moving and it has to move quickly uh, but on the other side um we need stable specs that are stable enough so we can start, you know, implementing real websites to them, you see? So some people are going to say, to be afraid that this is completely unstable, they will not touch it, and other people will be over, uh, you know, over, um, uh, over happy about the latest thing, and then they will break, you know, they will use a site and they will, it will break. You don't think it'll be in the browser specifically on the web sockets issue because Chrome and Firefox and Opera shipped this unstable spec and it had a serious issue. Right. That's right. But they shipped it in a beta product. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. but I, th- I think the problem now is that the culture in the, on the web now is that beta is product and, and people yeah. think about it wrong. Ah, oh, it's a beta because yeah, stuff, stuff goes into beta and never comes out. That's right. No, no, I, I don't think we should think about beta, you know, I, I really think that we need to uh, we need to develop quickly, but not too click quickly. If I if I can, right? Well, and I, and I appreciate the way that you're doing this by mm. putting web sockets on a separate page, not shipped with IE nine beta. So if you want it, you can go get it, but you have to want it and acknowledge the fact that this is unstable. Mm. That's right. And it's again, it's not the code that is unstable. It's right. the spec, you see. Right. So it's not a problem of the engineers. That's extremely important, you see. It's simply a spec. I mean, we are talking to developers here. If the actual spec changes, you can build as much, you know, solid code as you want. You still are not interoperable. Right. And I think that's really the most important here is, look, at the end of the day, um, I think really, number one, Let's all work together. And really, this is from a collaborative way. Uh, people are still surprised that, uh, you know, that from a very pragmatic way, Microsoft does not make a difference. I mean, we, we have a lot of customers, and a lot of people are surprised that when they think that, you know, they ask Microsoft, well, why are you doing interoperability? And when I tell them it's very good for our business, let's take the example of IE9, Right. I mean, it's good. We, just be, let me be clear. I work for Microsoft here. So we compete right. using our product, our quality of our product. If you look at IE9, it's really one of the most fastest, if not the fastest browser today. It's really, really good engineering. And we compete with the quality of our, of our product. It's very fast. Look at the GPU, you know, uh, uh, graphics, power graphics. It's just very, very fast. So... We compete with our product, and so it is expected today that our product interop with non-Microsoft products. It's expected if you use IE9 that you are going to have the same page, the same markup, the same markup, you know, work in uh, uh, Firefox, in Opera, in, uh, in WebKit, in Chrome, and in IE9. So it is expected that the same page will run, except that it will run better in our product because right. we are making it faster. You see, we are, you know, we believe our user interface is going to be better. 
So we are really competing on the quality of the product, but it, it is expected that the page with just the same markup will work equally in other browsers. So this is a fundamental, for some people, th- people think that it's a fundamental shift in Microsoft. And for us, we have been, you know, really believing this since many years now, and we have been doing fundamental engineering to do that. And, and a big part of it is collaboration, is our work with the standards body. You know, we have been involving, you know, involved in W3C. One talk, we talk about HTML5 since many years now. One of the co-chair of the HTML5 working group uh, is Paul Cotton. He's a Microsoft employee. Uh, he actually works in my team. So, you know, we, we work a lot on, on the, this collaboration and access to, to documentation and standards. But at the end of the day, uh, let's just also step step back a little bit and think about uh, about you know the concept of stable specs versus unstable specs. And today, I can again I can tell you that you know our goal here with IE9 is you know you can use HTML5 today in IE9, and you know if you are going to use it, we know. Please know. Uh, you, the listener, that whatever is in HTML5, uh, whatever is in IE9, and you're using it if it was HTML5, is table specs. Mm. And on the other side, if you want to look at the latest things that are unstable, go look at HTML5 Labs. And that's at html5labs.interoperabilitybridges.com. Are yeah. there any other websites that you want to point us to? Yes. Yeah, so, so the first one is the, our general uh, website and uh, called uh, interopbridges.com. So www.interopbridges.com. That's interoperability bridges. The overall view of all the work we are doing on interoperability. And uh, so we have uh, two blogs. We have on MSDN the interoperability blog that blogs.msdn.com/b/interoperability, and also the open source. Uh, community uh, outreach blog that we have, which is Port25. So port25.technet.com. Excellent. So, yeah. So those, those basically, you know, those are the, the main the main ones. Uh, again, we have two blogs, uh, uh, one which is very technical, one which is around the overall open source community. And, you know, they have multiple uh, articles shared and all of this. But uh, uh, And then we have the uh, interopbridges.com. Well, before we wrap, um, let's tease the listeners a little bit and talk to them about indexed DB, which is the other uh, prototype that's available on uh, interopbridges.com. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, so this is a, you know, this is a, a, a really a great way of doing uh, local caching, you know, so the browser can have a local database of record, and then from time to time, uh, you know, you can decide to sync and this is an uh, this is a this is a spec that is being worked out today uh, in the W3C, and uh, uh, you know the same story. There was uh, a proposal a year ago um, uh, of, of another uh, SQL-based uh, uh, you know a database, and it was discussed. Uh, some people even uh, included it into their browser, non-Microsoft. And then uh, the, the the you know the the working group in the W3C decided as a you know as a, uh, a consensus that it was not the right direction, 
And so as a result, you have some vendors who have still this, uh, this implementation. And uh, while the, the spec has been retired, I think this is uh, the, official, uh, the official name. And now there's a new spec called INDECT-DB that is being discussed right now. And again, uh, it's an unstable spec. It, uh, again, when I say unstable, there's nothing negative there. It's just yeah. a normal thing. I mean, whenever any developer starts writing a spec, he starts with an unstable spec. It's not finished. So, right. so it's just people are discussing it, and it's open, open process. And whenever it is ready, you know, now we already started implementing the dot releases, you know, the, the, the different pieces, the different pieces in HTML5 labs. And whatever it will be uh, finalized, we'll just, you know, uh, uh, just, you know, communicate it to the, to the audience. Well, uh, Jean, I'd like to thank you very much for spending this hour with us. It's been very informational and informative. And, um, well, thank you. What can I say? We, we, we're, we're humbled by your presence, and, and thanks for sharing. No, it's, it's me. I really thank you so much, and uh, thank you so much, and uh, have fun with HTML5, and go to interopbridges.com. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a talk.